Turn to Acts chapter 2 and hold your place for a minute. I'm not going to ask you to stand, and I'll give you an explanation of why here in just a minute. While you're finding that, I want to give kudos and accolades to Lana for the job she's doing with the music. It really is adding to the service. So we want to encourage her to keep up the good work. I only have one verse to read this morning, and there's a story about that. When David approached me about what I read this week last Sunday, I told him, well, I'd be glad to, but because of my eye condition, I can't read a very long passage. So consequently, he just gave me one verse, <laughs> which proves that he's not only a terrific speaker, he's a very good listener. <laughs> he followed through with what I had to do. And also, while I'm up here, I want to thank David for what you would call his daily devotionals or postings. They are just terrific. This past week, in five days, you had a complete, I don't know, concise and thorough rendering of the whole first five books of the Bible. It only took 25 minutes. So if you're not listening to those, I would encourage you to do that. And it also encouraged me to add a new saying to the church lexicon. You've all heard the deal. An apple a day keeps the doctor away. Well, I'm proposing that a mini-sermon a day will help keep the devil away. <laughs> so we'll, use, we'll just use that. And the reason I'm having you stay seated, I've, I've debated on whether to tell this story, but I just felt like God inspired me to do it. When I was a member at Lakeside for a long time, the deacon led the prayer like the, the uh, elders do here. And unbeknownst to me, at one time, a group of the youth brought a stopwatch to church and started clocking me. <laughs> and I didn't know this was happening, thank God I didn't, because it would have quenched the spirit. And I wasn't trying to go long or do anything, I was just trying to do whatever the spirit encouraged me to do. So they topped out a couple of times at a little bit over 13 minutes. So I don't intend to go 13 minutes today, but if I do, you're, you're seated so you can handle it. Okay, verse 42, I encourage you to look at the words in your Bible. They're a lot more meaningful if you're looking at them than if you're just hearing them. And the 3,000 were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. We're covering all those bases here at Lakeside, and we're doing it in a good way. So if you bow your head, we'll see how long we can go here. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity and privilege that we have to be in your house with our church family. We're especially grateful to be at TBF. It has so much, it's endeared itself to our heart. The fellowship mentioned in this verse, established in the first church, has always been a hallmark of this church. I wasn't here when it was started, but I know some who were, and I know that they would confirm that it wasn't by accident that fellowship was put into the name of the church. That's another thing I've had since I've been here, learned to have, is the thing about Tanglewood is fellowship is not just in the name of the church, it's in the hearts of the people. We thank you for that, play. we will perpetuate that and build upon it and then it will go outside of this building and reach out and touch other people and be brought into your fold. Father, we thank you for our leadership, our elders and their wives, and the way they kept this church in the center of the stream. There's always in any church different times, undercurrents trying to draw you one way or another. They've done a wonderful job of keeping us right in the middle of the stream. We praise you for them, pray you'll continue to encourage and lift them up and help them to continue to do the good job that they're doing. They're, they're an inspiration and uh, leadership to us, and we thank you for them. And Father, we do pray for the world around us. It's in such a tumult, and you really don't know what's going to happen, but settle back in on what David preached about last week. This church is just a not only just a sanctuary, an embassy where we're safe where we have peace and where we can 
put on spiritual blinders and leave everything else outside the door and come to focus on you and your word this morning. We thank you for David and Brianna for bringing them here to us. We've enjoyed having them here so much, and he's doing such a, a, a wonderful job of unpacking your word. We learn something every day, not just from the daily devotionals, but from the Sunday sermons. We just pray you'll continue to inspire and uplift him and undergird him. We thank you for the preparation that he's made over the years before he got here. You don't just announce yourself as a preacher and begin to preach. It takes so much work and background study and, and college and whatever. We just thank you for that. He's done such a good job of going through all of that, and you brought him here to us. We pray for his message this morning that, again, we can put aside the cares and all that's going on around us, and for a few minutes this morning, focus in on your word. We pray you'll just lift him up now, and we thank you for all you do for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Tom, um, for reading and praying for us and for your your kind words about me personally. You know, I had to encourage a preacher before he starts, so that's good. I'm thankful for that. Um, you know, one of my favorite things about a buffet restaurant isn't just the unlimited amount of food that you get, but it's also the unlimited ice cream machine. Because what that means is you can get as much ice cream as you want. And so there was one day when I was younger and I decided I was going to partake of this unlimited ice cream. So, you know, they have those small little bowls usually, a different place. And no, 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 I'm not doing that. So I went and got one of the big buffet plates, and I took that up to the ice cream machine, and I just filled that whole thing all the way up, and I'm just watching it go around and just dreaming, thinking, and this is going to be so good. This is awesome. And I was starting to think about, okay, well, what am I going to put on this? So there's some sprinkles, so I put some sprinkles on it, and there's the chocolate syrup, but next to the chocolate syrup, there's this big old thing of just hot, melted caramel. I just think, oh, I love caramel. It's, you rarely see it near an ice cream machine, so I got excited and started to dream, okay, I'm going to put this, so I just start draping it everywhere. I'm really painting a beautiful picture on my ice cream with this, and so it's finally kind of done, and I'm walking it back to my table at this Chinese restaurant and just thinking, oh, this is going to be so delicious. I can't wait to bite into this. And my anticipation and the expectations are just building for how incredible this is going to be. And so finally, I can't take it anymore, so I just put a big old spoon in before I'm halfway back to my table to take a bite, and the bite comes in, man, the ice cream's perfect, it's soft, it's cold, and the caramel's nice and hot, but then the caramel keeps getting hot, and now that I think about it, the caramel's a lot harder than I remember caramel being, and it really doesn't taste like caramel at all. It actually, what I'd put on my ice cream was a bunch of hot mustard. Yeah, and I mean, hot mustard's good. It, it's fine if you're anticipating eating hot mustard. If you're anticipating eating ice cream with some caramel, hot mustard is not exactly what you want to be eating. Um, so, you know, that pretty much ruined my ice cream, and after that it ruined my appetite, so I just threw that in the trash and <laughs> kind of ruined all of my great dreams that I had for my ice cream. But that's what can happen, isn't it, when we have expectations and things don't quite go as we want. Or if we have grand expectations or grand hopes and grand dreams for something, whether it's just ice cream or whether it's an election or whether it's how your day was going to go when you woke up or how a conversation or how all these things. And when our expectations aren't met, things start to go awry. And in a way, Sunday morning is no different. And church isn't an exception from that. When we walk in these doors, when we come to be in God's house, if we don't have the right expectations... Or if we have this kind of expectation, now we get something else. If we're expecting a delicious ice cream and so we get hot mustard, that's going to lead us to frustration. And so what we're going to talk a little bit about this morning is we're kind of continuing our series and talking about what is the church. We, we need to talk about, well, what should we expect the church to be? What do we expect Sunday morning to be about? And our, our subject this morning, our, our title is really that the church is a greenhouse, and that frames what our expectations should be in this verse, is that the church should be a greenhouse. And so this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about how the church is a greenhouse. Then we're going to talk about how the church as a greenhouse helps us to grow. And then finally, we'll look at our application. So if you will, you can turn, um, I'm going to point number one in your bulletin if you'd like to take notes. And point number one is that the church is a greenhouse for spiritual growth. 
The church is a greenhouse for spiritual growth. And this is a metaphor for the church. I didn't come up with this. This isn't me. This is in our mission statement at Tangwood Bible Fellowship. This is part of, of core of who we are. And this is one of the things that stood out to me, attracted me to y'all as a church. And I was like, I have never heard that before, that language. I love that. I love thinking of the church this way. Why? Because we want Tanglewood Bible Fellowship to be a place where people come to grow in their faith. And so what is a greenhouse? If you're not a, a great gardener um, like me, I'm, I'm not. You had to probably go Google and figure out, okay, well, how do greenhouses work? I have a vague idea, but what is that really about? Well, the, the point of a greenhouse is that the building is designed specifically so that everything about the building is geared towards the plants inside the building growing. Right, And so this helps plants grow in places and environments that they might not already, especially a place like here where it can get cold or if you're up north and there's lots of winter and snow, you want a greenhouse because plants don't do very good in the snow or in blizzards. Right? Or in the fiery heat of the summer, you can use it to keep your plants cool so they don't dry out too much. And so the walls in the roof of the greenhouse, if you've seen them, they're designed to let lots of light in. They're usually glass or some kind of see-through material so that all the light possible that could shine on this house, no matter where the sun is, is going to get in. And the walls of the greenhouse are designed this way. They, there's not really a lot of furniture inside a greenhouse. Maybe there's some benches to put some plants or to put some things on. And you'll, you know, there's not room for couches. There's not really a section for you to put up your feet and relax inside of a greenhouse. That's not what the greenhouse is for. It's for the plants. There may be even some temperature regulation going on. You could have a heater in there or fans and coolers. A lot of them may even have irrigation systems where they're set up to get water to these plants. Because what? Everything inside of the greenhouse is geared towards making sure that these plants can grow. Everything. So there's nothing in the greenhouse unless it's going to help the plants grow. But what if I, you know, with me and my great gardening ideas here, I've had, what if we came to a greenhouse and we decided, you know what, I'm going to improve this greenhouse. I got to make this better. We need to make some changes. You know, I, and Bree knows this. I, I don't really like all these windows. Okay, this is too much. I'm in here. I don't want everybody looking at me. So why don't we, why don't we put up some, some walls a little more? Let's make these, we don't really need this whole wall to be glass. I want everyone to see what I'm doing in my greenhouse. Let's make this a little smaller here. And, you know, you know, I get really tired easy, so I really need some sections for a couch. So let's take out some other stuff, expand, let's put a couch in here, you know, so I can relax, so I can be tired, and then, well, you know, I like football, so we need to have some TVs up in here so I can watch some stuff while I'm out here doing my stuff with the plants, and, you know, I might get hungry, so I'm going put in a mini fridge over in this section so I can have some Dr. Pepper when I'm thirsty, and, well, I might get hungry too, let's go ahead and put in a kitchen, let's get a stove so I can have some pizza, because that'll be good, that'll help me. And, you know, this irrigation says, I just keep tripping over it. It's really annoying me. So why don't we take that out? I'll just water this another way. What if I did all those changes? It's going to make that more fun for me to hang out in. But none of that is going to help these plants grow. In fact, all I did was make it much worse for the plants to grow while I made it easier for myself to hang out in that place. And I didn't turn this in from a greenhouse. It's not a greenhouse anymore. It's just my clubhouse or my own den. And the church's mission is to be a greenhouse. We need to design, and we do design everything in our church to be about our spiritual growth. It's not about, and that's the expectation that we're supposed to have. We need to expect that the church is a place where we can grow, where we do grow. Because that's a significant and most of the, one of the most important purposes of the church in general, is that we are geared towards helping all of us be more like Jesus. So at the beginning of this verse, it says they're devoted so we'll just stop there. We have to be devoted towards things that cause us to grow. Because a greenhouse that doesn't help plants grow is just a building. And a church that doesn't help people be more like Jesus isn't a church anymore. It's something else. And so oftentimes what happens is that we can come to church not to grow, but because we want to be entertained. And unfortunately, this is the attitude many people have. And even believers can fall into this trap of we come to Sunday morning and we come into God's place because we want to something else. And we're, we're not, we want a church that becomes geared towards our desires or what we feel or our needs are or what we want to see or things that we might think make us more comfortable instead of what are the things that might make me uncomfortable but what might help me grow. And so people can come to a church and walk in and say, well, okay, what do you have for me? What are the things that you offer? What, what products do you have that I can consume for me? And churches fall into this trap. 
as we can start to lose track of our mission and we can think that our purpose is to entertain, to be exciting, to draw crowds, to do things other than helping people grow and other than helping people be more like Jesus. We figuratively start to cover up our windows of our greenhouse and take out all the things that we need to make plants grow so that we can do something else. And this can happen in a number of different ways, right? I could talk for 40 minutes just of examples of way this happens, but I'll just give you a few. One way I've seen is this led some churches to do giveaways for Easter, right? So, and think of one example specifically where, you know, they wanted people to come to church. Great thing. Want unbelievers to come to church. Awesome thing. Why for Easter? Because they want people to hear the gospel. That's a great thing. I'm all about that. So what they decided to do is, well, we'll just have giveaways, so we'll give away iPads, we'll give away televisions, we'll have a big party outside, we'll just give away thousands and thousands of dollars of electronic stuff. Like, okay, I mean, that would get me just about anywhere. If you're doing a raffle for a TV, sure, I'll come sit whatever I got to do and see if I can get a TV, especially if it's a nice big 4K one. Mine's getting a little smaller. I think, you know, 70 inches isn't quite enough. I need more. It's not that big, but it'd be nice if it was. Right? And I'm sure it drew a crowd, but if our, our purpose has to be, are we trying to help people grow or are we just trying to entertain? Are we just trying to build excitement? Are we just trying to do other things? In my own life, I saw this in the youth group in my church growing up, right? So we, got, we had a new youth pastor and he was really good at connecting with people. In fact, he was really good at drawing a crowd. For a small church, we had a very big youth group. And it was great. We had lots of people who were unchurched, who weren't connected to the church, who came on Wednesdays. Great thing. We'd have cool music. We'd have concerts, all the events, all the pizza parties, all the things you can dream of, stereotypical youth excitement stuff. You, whatever you picture when you think that, we were doing that, maybe even a little better. But I remember um, after I'd graduated, I ran into one of the guys, talking to one of the guys who had been at church with me and had graduated and moved on. And we were talking about the youth pastor. He'd moved on to, for various reasons. And someone was asking and said, oh, yeah, well, you know, what are they up to now? And the guy paused and he said, hey, wait, did, did you say he was a youth pastor? And I was very confused. I was like, what, did, did you not realize that, that, that him, yes, the, the guy you've been talking to for, for years was a youth pastor? He's like, no, I had no idea. Well, you, you were going to church every Wednesday. You realize that, right? Like for four years, almost every single week. You were sitting on a Wednesday night in a church, blew his mind, had no idea. That's what our churches can do. And it's an extreme example. It's a real example. That we can be so focused on other things. We can be so focused on entertaining. We can be so focused meeting people where they're at that we never end up helping anybody actually grow, that we stop being a greenhouse and we start to be something else. Now, I don't think that's going to be as much of a temptation for Tanglewood Bible Fellowship, right? I know you're not here at this church because we're the coolest, the most exciting, because we have strobe lights, um, because I'm the greatest preacher in town or anything like that, okay? But this doesn't let us off the hook either, because what we can be tempted to do is we can go and say, oh, well, that's all those people. Good thing I'm not like them. I don't seek any kind of entertainment at all. Well, I think there's a subtle way that we do this. I know there's a subtle way that I've been tempted to do this. And the way that we can do this is we can be tempted into being entertained by new things about the Scripture or new things about the Bible. And this is what many of us can do, and, or what I would find myself doing is, you know, I'd kind of, pastor's preaching, doze off, start dreaming about the rest of my day, my to-do list, what I got to do at work, at school, all these different things. But, oh, if, you, if somebody mentions a Greek or a Hebrew word, my ears pick up. Oh, okay, I'm about to learn something new. This is going to be exciting. This is what I need. And they'd say something, and I just think, ah, oh, that is Bible teaching. Greek and Hebrew words were said, and now I have a definition. I don't know what it means, don't know what to do with it, but I heard it. Wow, awesome. And we can fall into the same trap, because you can learn all the facts about the Bible that you want. We could be amazed every single week if I came up and just gave you new things that you had never heard. If you knew all about the Assyrian Empire and Sennacherib and Sargon and all these different kings. Those are real names. I'm not making that up. Um, and you could learn all of that stuff. But if you don't grow spiritually, you're not like Jesus. It's not worth anything. The Pharisees knew their Bible was probably better than any of us. And they missed Jesus when he was standing right in front of them talking to them. 
Knowledge, it's not bad, it's good. Learning something is even good. But the temptation is for us to think that if I learn something new, then automatically I'm growing. You can learn all that you want, but it doesn't, if it never leads to life change, if it never leads to you actually being more like Jesus, then all you've done at the end of the day is you're still just seeking entertainment. A way personally I can do this too is my, I'm a bit of a movie snob. Um, I'm just learning to acknowledge this about myself and just, you know, be not in denial anymore. And so like I, I don't like a lot of movies, if Brie tells me about a movie and it's like Pixar or it's some Christian, I'm like, ah, ugh, no, it'll be terrible, don't want to watch it, right? Because I just want to go watch these independent movies or more artsy films. Half the time I don't really understand them, but I, I feel smarter because I've watched it, right? So I, I do that. And then I can watch something else and think, ah, oh, well, this is just pure entertainment, blah, 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 blah. This isn't high art like this other thing I've been watching. But at the end of the day, like, what, what am I doing? I'm still watching a movie. Still being entertained. It might be smarter entertainment, if you ask me, that's what I'll say, right? But at the end of the day, I'm still just being entertained. And, and that's a temptation that we can, we can all fall into. So point number two, so if the church is supposed to function as a greenhouse, how does the church do it? How does the church help us grow? Point number two is that spiritual growth is not automatic. Spiritual growth is not automatic. You see, it doesn't just happen naturally. The beginning of this verse, we see that the church is devoted to a number of things. They're putting all of their effort into this. Growing and becoming like Jesus, it doesn't just happen naturally. It takes devotion. It takes putting our heart and our souls into this. Okay, if I bought, if I went down to one of these greeneries and I bought some seeds and I went to my office and I just threw it on the floor and I left it there, what do you think is going to happen? It's just going to sit there until somebody cleans it up or until I clean it up or stomp it on the ground and forget about it. Okay, no, for things to grow, it needs a lot of things. It needs soil. I got to water it. I got to care for it. I got to give it sunlight. Growth doesn't just automatically happen. I can't just ignore the seed and hope that a beautiful plant will show up eventually. Well, it's the same thing can happen for our spiritual life because what happens for us is our autopilot Okay, our automatic drift is not towards Jesus, it is away from Jesus. As Hebrews 2 tells us that you be careful, watch yourselves, lest you drift away from this salvation. Because that's what we do. We don't tend to automatically just become more like Jesus. We tend to become more like sinners. If we're just hanging out by ourselves, ignoring God's Word, not worshiping God, ignoring fellowship with believers, just doing whatever we want, do you think at the end of the day you're going to be more like Jesus that day than you were before? No. There's no way. If I got you, if I, I came and I picked you up in my car because we were going to go have lunch together, maybe we decided we were going to go up to Oklahoma City or a lot, and for some reason we, we jump on the highway and we get out of town, and I said, you know what, I'm just going to turn on the cruise control kick. I'm just going to take a nap. Um, my alignment's really good. Cruise control's going to take us. So, you know, just wake me up when we get closer and I need to stop. How are you going to feel about that? Probably going to freak out. Probably never ride with me again if I invite you anywhere. Right? Because that's not going to work. See, the car is going to drift. It's going to head a direction at a fast speed, but it's not going to take long for it to go off the road and for this to end in a crash. But that's what happens for our spiritual life, because spiritual growth does not happen automatically. What we do in our lives, our habits, the things we are devoted to, that forms us. And so how does, how does this happen? There's really four ways. We see these four things, and this is kind of the, the bulk of our, our time here. There's four things that the church is devoted to, that four practices the church has that leads to spiritual growth. And so we're going to um, kind of talk about these, and you may have to forgive me for continuing this um, growth metaphor, um, the way I'm going to describe these. Maybe some of you will like it. Some of you might just find it cheesy um, and laugh at me. That's okay. Um, you can laugh or you can ignore it and just get the key point. Uh, but so the, the first way that the church um, grows is that we grow spiritually by sun exposure to God's Word. So we grow through sun exposure, S-O-N, sun being Jesus, not sun in the sky, um, through God's Word. And we see this in Acts. They were devoted to the teachings of the apostles. So one of the first things that the church is committed to is to the Word of God. They are committed to His Word. And what is the Bible? What is it all about? It is all about Jesus. 
It is all about God. It is all about Him. It is all, and that's why we have to be devoted to it. And that's what I, I love so much Sunday morning is it happens, it, it's wrapped around God's Word. We read a lot of God's Word as a church. And I hope we, we never stop doing that. We read it aloud. Why? Because it's not optional. It's core. The co- I mean, everything I say, if it's not devoted or found in God's Word, you just ignore it and throw it away, and that's fine. That's not going to hurt my feelings. Because everything has to be about His Word, and that's why often even we stand when we read God's Word a lot of the time. Why? Because we want to train our bodies even physically to remind us, hey, we need to be attentive to God's Word. We need to be devoted to it. Because the more we are exposed to His Word, that's what helps us grow. This is why we talk about, you know, you, you need to be in God's Word every day. It's not because it's the only way to make God love you. It's not because we're trying to be legalistic. It's not because that's how you earn grace, because you don't. But it is because being exposed to the Jesus and to God's Word, if you are exposed to it continually as a habit every single day, that will help lead you to being more like Jesus. It will. And so that's why we have to be devoted to it. But our temptation, even as a church, is to be devoted to other things. Churches are often tempted to focus on man's wisdom instead of God's wisdom. And if churches and pulpits filled with people just giving really good advice or some fancy tips, good self-help tips, and some of it even is good, some of it might even be helpful, some of it could be a little biblical, but there's a profound difference between a pastor or a preacher coming up here every week, standing behind a pulpit and saying, hey, I, here's, here's my wisdom for you today. Here's kind of some stuff that I've figured out. I um, just want to tell you how you can live a better life. And standing up here and saying, hey, here's what I think Acts 2.42 says. Here's what I think God says. And here's what I think God says to us as a church. And here's what I think we need to learn from what God is saying. So every single week, I I wrestle with God's Word. Most of my sermon prep time is spent just struggling and reading and studying and trying to figure out, what does God, what does this say, and what does this mean for us? What what do we as a church need to hear from this? What do I need to hear from this? What in my life, what's going to keep us from living this out? I mean, I I could, you know, just come up here and give you some of my own wisdom, I guess. Um, That probably wouldn't last very long. I think I could maybe do that for a month or two. Um, before I'd run out of stuff to say that was interesting or helpful, and I think you'd smoke me out pretty quickly. What I can do is I can open up God's Word. I can read it. And I can point you to it and say, hey, here's, here's where I think this is. Here's where I think this is. When it says they're devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, they're not just devoted to wisdom. They're not just devoted to other things. They're, they're just devoted to that, and that's it. I can do that, and that's what I think is the most significant thing. But they're also, they're not just devoted to God's Word, they're also devoted to the teaching of the apostles, so that is the Word of God, but that's also implying doctrine and theology. It's also the things of God. You can't just be devoted to to the book and then think, well, you know, I don't really care how this all goes together, I don't really care what God says about different areas of life. Like, no, 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 We, we have to have all of that. And I've been at some places that didn't really care about doctrine. They liked the Bible but didn't want to get docked down. Well, I mean, what do the apostles teach? Who wants to figure that out? Let's just care about the mission. Let's just help people grow. Well, just like we, spiritual growth isn't automatic, we don't drift towards spiritual growth. We also don't drift towards good doctrine. Okay, we don't drift towards good biblical teaching. We drift towards something else. So that's why we have to work. We have to study. We have to be devoted to the Scriptures. We are devoted to one book here in this church, and it's God's Word. It's His book, and that's what we need to be. The second way that we we grow is we grow through deep roots in biblical community. We grow through deep roots in biblical community. We see this, and they devoted themselves not just to the apostles' teaching, but to the fellowship, to the fellowship. That's in our name, it's Tanglewood Bible Fellowship. They're devoted not just to God's Word, but they're also devoted to each other. This isn't just they have a fellowship once a month, maybe they hang out every now and then, share some things, and they move on. It's they're devoted to each other. They're devoted to to their community. And that's because the Christian life cannot and is not meant to be lived alone. 
We are meant to live it in a fellowship, in a community of other believers. We need each other in our lives. This socially distanced life that we've all been forced into for the last year has showed us, I think, even more how much we really need each other. How even, I mean, I'm introverted, right? So just what that means is I get recharged by being alone. But I still need to be with people. I need to be with people a lot. And I have not enjoyed not being with people. It's not the greatest thing. But we all need that. And we need to be devoted to each other. This is part of what we do on Sunday morning. This is why Sunday morning needs to happen in a gathering like we talked about last week. Because we need to be together. We need each other. We need to worship together. We need to hear each other singing. And why do we need that? You you know, you need to hear my voice singing. It'd be better if you hear Brianna's voice singing. Her voice is much better than mine. I need to hear your voice singing, whether you think it's good or not, because when we sing together, it reminds all of us, it reminds our ears, we are singing and worshiping and loving the same God. And I need you to hear, I need to hear you singing a song that I maybe have never heard from, maybe I don't even like. I need to hear you singing it with love so it can remind me of how much bigger our God is. We need each other. And we see, you see really a lot of this passage in 44, verse 44, where they believe and they have all things in common. And 45, they're selling their possessions, like they're selling what they have and just giving all their things away to anybody who has a need. They hear somebody is in trouble, oh, somebody has this, somebody's got this medical bill, somebody's having this problem, someone having this debt, and they go, oh, well, I've got some stuff. Let me get rid of my stuff and just give it to you so that you can have all your needs met. That is a profound community. That's a community that doesn't just like each other, but that is devoted to each other. They're devoted to each other's well-being. They're willing to sacrifice their own comfort, their own things, their own desires so that the community can grow. That's why we need to be rooted in community. Because if we put down deep roots in each other, what that means is then when I'm weak, your strong roots can help keep me strong. When I'm struggling... If I'm having a rough week and when I start to stray away from God, from His people, from His Word, what that means is you can see it and you can call and you can pull me back. You can help keep me strong. You can prop me up and we can do the same for each other. There's a pando tree in Utah that has really deep roots. In fact, the, the entire tree is kind of b- bizarre and crazy in that it somehow cl- clones itself and, and just keeps planting more trees, but all of the roots are together. And so there's thousands of trees, I think there's like 47,000 trees, I think, that make up this entire forest, but all of their root system is all together in one. And it's spread over 100 acres, and it's 6,000 tons of all these trees, but all of their roots are together. Can you imagine trying to dig up one of those trees? Trying to get rid of some of the roots there? I've got some vines in, in our house I've been trying to get rid of, and I don't like how those roots go, and they're not that deep. I can't imagine trying to get rid of this. Well, why? What does that do? Well, that, that keeps those trees rooted together and strong. I can't imagine any storm knocking all of that over because of how deeply knitted together they are. And this is the, the same way as believers, our roots need to bind us together. One of the worst things would be, and I'm thankful this doesn't happen here, but if we all came in on a Sunday, we all sat down, we sang, we listened to the sermon, we prayed, and then we all left immediately and no one talked to each other. That would be profoundly sad. Because it's not about what, what you get or what I get and that's it, and then we leave. It's about all of us together. It's about really having a fellowship. It's about having a community and a biblical community. A community that's founded on us being devoted to God and to His Word and to growing, not just because we all like the same football team or because we all like the same stuff, we all like to eat the same restaurants, but because we all love Jesus and that is what roots us together even as other things in the world pull us apart. But we don't drift towards good community, right? We drift towards bad community or we drift towards isolation. We can drift towards being hermits. We can drift towards thinking that we don't need the fellowship of believers. But as believers, as Tangled, I think we do this well, but we have to make sure that we continue to be devoted to it. That our fellowship, our community is not optional. It's something we must do. Something we have to do. 
something we have to be devoted to. This takes effort. This takes time. This takes putting our, our hearts into this. And I love seeing how our church does this. I love seeing the conversations after service. I love singing happy birthday to each other. I, I love what we do. We need to continue that and do that even more. We need to not be content and just think, well, we're, we're great. We've crushed community. We've got it down. And you think, no, how can we be devoted to biblical community? Because we all need, need each other in our lives so that we can grow. Iron sharpens iron. We help each other, even in the way that we butt heads, the things we disagree about. All of that helps us grow and be more like Jesus. The third way that we grow is we grow in the soil of the gospel. We grow in the soil of the gospel. Again, 42, so they're devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread. This reference to a breaking of bread, it's not just fellowship and that they're eating together, um, although that definitely is happening because it talks about them doing that later. But this seems to be a reference to the Eucharist or to the Lord's Supper or or communion, um, whatever your favorite way of referring to it is. And one of the main reasons that they're devoted to the communion, they're devoted to, to breaking the bread of the Lord together and drinking the cup is, and the reason we do it too, is so that we can feast on the gospel, so that we can remind ourselves as we eat the bread we can, and as we break it, we can remind, remind ourselves that Jesus' body was broken for you and for me. I, I was at a, at a church that would just have one loaf. This is pre-COVID, obviously, um, right? So this is more okay. They just have one loaf, and as everyone would kind of come up, and they would break it off and give it to each individual as they came. And the pastor or elder who would do it would say, hey, this is Christ's body broken for you. This is just another symbol of how it's breaking. And as we drink the cup, we remember and we were reminded that God's blood, Jesus' blood was shed for us, that He spilled His blood to, to pay the penalty for our sin, to wash us clean. Communion is meant to force us to slow down to, to, so that our bodies pause and reflect every week or every time we partake of the truth of the gospel and what Jesus did for us. It helps us to not forget The early church would celebrate this often, weekly, almost every single time that they gathered. And why? Because they needed to be reminded of the gospel every time they got together. And that's no less true for us that we, whether we're doing communion every week or not, need to be reminded of the gospel every single week. The gospel isn't just for unbelievers to hear. It's not just for people who don't know Jesus or people who need to repent because they're backslidden and living far from Jesus. It is for those in this room who have walked with Jesus for your entire life. You still need the gospel. You still need to be... It is the soil that we grow in. It is the air we breathe. We have to hear the gospel over and over and over. Because without the gospel, we drift. We don't drift towards the gospel, we drift away from the gospel. We drift towards the ideas of the world. And even when it comes to spiritual growth, we can be tempted to leave the gospel behind. We can start to think that maybe Jesus will only love me if I'm growing. Maybe Jesus will only save me as long as I'm reading my Bible every day or coming to church each week. Maybe this is a, then we read these verses and we take it as a things we have to do list in order to be saved. That's not what it is at all. Or we think that our spiritual growth can only come on our own. If I just work hard enough and grit my teeth and if I do it, that is what's going to bring this about. But the gospel is the soil that we have to be buried in because it reminds us that we are saved, we are believers, not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus did. That even our, that we have been saved from our sin just because of the grace and the goodness and the beauty of Jesus not because of how great or wonderful we are. We can't deliver ourselves from our sin, but Jesus can and Jesus did. And Jesus still does. And we have to be reminded of that every single day. And all of these ways that we grow, it has to first start in the gospel because if we lose sight of the gospel, we will forget everything. We we devote ourselves to God's Word, not because we want to earn God's love, but because of just how good He is and because we love Him. 
We want to put down roots in community, not because we think we need to be among the people of God in order to be saved, but because God has changed us and He has changed His people and we want to be with them. But we can fall into a trap and start to think that we don't need the gospel. Or we can think, well, the gospel is just, you know, it's like Hebrews where Paul said, or the author um, says, you know, I'd like to give you guys meat, but you're just ready for baby's milk. I wish I could give you guys more. And we think that the gospel is kind of the baby's milk, right? It's just, it's step one, and then we leave step one, and we go to the cool stuff. Let's go talk about Revelation. Let's talk about the end times. Let's talk about other things. We don't need to talk about the gospel anymore. Let's talk about something cooler. And I've caught myself doing this. I attend in this all the time, right? I, I read a lot of books, and so reading Christian books especially, there's lots of places they talk about the gospel. My temptation can be when I come to that section to start to skim it or to just skip a couple pages. Oh, well, they're just talking about the gospel here. Okay, let me, let me get back to the good stuff that this book's about. I've read this before. Why? Or even we can do this during listening to sermons. Someone starts preaching the gospel, starts talking about it, and we can just go into autopilot. Or I would go into autopilot and start thinking about other stuff. And it's hard to pay attention during a whole sermon. Your mind's got to drift eventually. And so, well, that would be when I would do it. Why? Because I'd convince myself that, well, the gospel's for other people. I don't need to listen to that part, so it's okay if I don't pay attention here. I served at a church um, that would do an altar call every Sunday. Okay, and I don't love altar calls. They're not my favorite thing. Um, But what is good about it is a specific part of the service where the preacher would preach the gospel every single week, and that is worth emulating. But what I would notice is what would happen every single week, because it would always happen kind of at the same part, sermon would very clearly end, say prayer, then the altar call begins, we'd do the prayer. At that point, because this is a big church, this is when you would see hundreds of people just stand up and leave the service during the altar call. Okay, they're not going down to the altars, they're heading to the car to get in the parking lot so they can you know, get out first and be first to the restaurant. And again, I love altar calls, but it, it, that image is just in my mind, of what that does. Because what does that say if you're physically doing that? Ah, gospel's optional. I got it. I've already responded to this once. I'm good. Don't need to listen to this. This is for somebody else. And we can think that there, we can see that example, but we still have to hear the gospel every week. We, and not just every week, every single day. We need to be reminded of the gospel. We need to remind ourselves of the gospel. It is the air we breathe. It's the soil we're in. If I took a tree out of the yard and I just put it out of our grass and I just put it in the middle of our parking lot with no, no soil, what do you think is going to happen to that tree? It is going to die. First, it's going to fall over probably, but then it's going to die because it needs soil. None of us can lose sight of the gospel and think that we can keep growing and be more and more like Jesus if we don't think and reflect on everything that Jesus did for us. And this is something even I'm working on, not just in my own life, but as a pastor, making sure, man, every week, am I preaching the gospel? Are we talking about the gospel in our service, or are we just skipping it? Are we just doing it every now and then? And I want to make sure the gospel just gets lost in the cracks. So you can hold me accountable. I'm giving you permission to, to help me or to see me. If you, if you think, if you see in my preaching, I'm getting off track, or we're not preaching the gospel. I'm not preaching the gospel every week. Tell me, confront me, because we have to be rooted in the gospel. And finally, the fourth way that we grow is we grow by being watered by prayer. We grow by being watered by prayer. We see this in the last thing they're devoted to. They're devoted to themselves, the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. They're devoted to prayer. Part of what fuels our spiritual growth is our prayer lives. Because prayer at its core is calling out to God and saying, God, I need help. God, I can't do this. God, I don't know what to do. God, I'm lost. I don't have any answers. God, I've tried everything that I could do, and I can't make this situation any better. You have to do this. God, the doctors have done everything they can, and they don't seem to do any more. You have to do something. That is what our prayer, our prayer is, ultimately, just dependence on God. And we can all be really good at this some days and really bad at this other days, can't we? are really good at this in one area of our life where we really see how much we need God's help, and then this other area that we're, we're pretty good at, well, we, I don't need to pray there. I mean, I've got this. There's lots of things we don't pray about because why would I pray about it? I can handle this. I don't need God. 
Now, we don't say that, but we think that. We're really good at praying. I'm really great at praying when I'm sick, when I can't get out of bed, when I'm not feeling good, my head is swimming. That's probably my best prayer life, right? Because I realize how frail my body is, how frail I am, how much help I need from God. Now, I don't do that great at praying when things are going really well, when everything's going how I felt that it should go. I don't do that great about praying before my sermon when I'm feeling awesome, thinking, yeah, this is going to be great. I don't need to pray about it. I'm, I'm going to kill it this week. Much better when I'm wrestling and thinking, I don't, I don't know, you're going to have to show up and do something. Hey, but what do we need to do? We need to be praying all the time because we need to be dependent. Because prayers, it's admitting to God that we desperately need Him, and the truth is that we all always desperately need Him. There isn't a time when we don't need Him. There isn't a time where we can say, ah, you know, I know you said pray about this. I don't think we need to pray about this. Pretty sure we got it. We don't need God to get involved here. No, we always need God to get involved. Every single day, in every single way, we need to be praying. And all of us, if we're probably honest with ourselves, I'm not going to make us raise our hands, we all probably admit and say that we don't have the best prayer lives or that we wish that our prayer lives were better. And sometimes when we hear other people pray, it can spur us and make us think, oh, I wish I could pray like they did. Wow, that's a beautiful prayer, and I, I wish I could do that. And sometimes we can be encouraged, sometimes we can then be discouraged and think, well, I'll never get there, I don't know how to do that. My prayers don't sound very good. My prayers sound pretty wimpy. My prayers are more pathetic. The only way to get a better prayer life is to pray. That's the only way. I, I don't, there's not a magic formula. There's not a trick. You just have to do it, and you have to do it again, and again, and again. You have to do it a thousand times a day, and you've got to pray your bad prayers that you're not very impressed by, that you don't think are good. You have to pray about 20 million of those, and then suddenly they might find them get better and better, whatever that means. There's no good prayer or bad prayer. The best prayer is just admitting where you are and how much you need Jesus in whatever situation you are. If you use 30,000 words to do that, great. If you use one, two words to do that, help me, that's also great. What matters is admitting that you are dependent on Him. But we can be starved and we can fall away from growing when, just by our own dependence. If we think we can get through our lives without praying, we can get through our lives without Jesus' help or intervention. I love that our church has an emphasis on prayer. We've prayed a number of times this morning. We're going to pray a number of times before we leave. That's good. I used to get bored by that as a kid. Why don't we pray so much? Is that once enough? No. Once isn't enough. Why? Because we need Jesus. We desperately need Him. Our lives need to be watered continually by prayer. You can't overwater a plant. I have discovered that. I've done that. Okay, but you cannot overwater your life with prayer. You cannot pray too much. I love that as a church we pray that Wednesday nights we take a significant amount of time and just pray for each other that we lift each other up, that we hear each other pray. I'm so blessed listening to other believers pray and talk to God, especially when they talk to God on behalf of somebody else that they know and love. We need that. I love hearing our elders, our church family pray together. We all need to pray because, listen, you cannot grow if you never pray. If you never prayed, I feel very confident. I'm trying to be legalistic. I'm just saying, if you never pray and you're never talking to God, feel pretty good to say you're not growing. I'm not saying that you need to pray this much in order to grow, but I am saying if you're not praying at all, I doubt that it's happening. And so if you want to grow, if you want to be growing and being more like Jesus, I think all of us need to be praying a little more, whatever that is for you. And so finally, our application, it's simply a question. Um, are you going to grow spiritually in this year, in 2021? Are you going to grow spiritually in 2021? It's a new year. For some of us, it's already not off to a great start, although we're all happy to leave last year behind. We all have a little bit of hope, right? hoping maybe this year won't be as bad, maybe it'll be better. You know, I have no idea what this year will hold. I don't have any idea at all. And some pastors do vision sermons, of, you know, hey, this is what the year will hold. I kind of think it would have been really funny if I tried to do that my first Sunday, and then two weeks later, we're shut down from COVID, so, so I'm not bothering trying to do that this year. I have no idea what this year could be, okay? I can give you a vision, and then two weeks later, well, you can throw that vision away because can't do any of that. But so, you know, none of us have any idea what this year can grow, but here's what I do know. 
All of us can grow more like Jesus this year. All of us. No matter what this year brings, it could be the greatest year you've ever had. It could be the worst year you've ever had. It could be your last year. But all of us can grow to be more like Jesus this year. And the only one who has any control over that is you. That's between you and Jesus. Now, as a church, as your pastor, what, what do we try to do? I'm trying to do everything we can to help you grow, to be a catalyst, to encourage you, to be your cheerleader, to do, to do whatever we can as a church to help so that all of us grow to be more like Jesus. And no matter where you're at, if you're a brand new believer, you've been walking with Jesus your whole life, we can all grow and be a little more like Jesus than we were last year or a little more like Jesus today than we were yesterday. We can fall more in love with the gospel today than we did last night. We can read more and consume more of His Word than we did the year before. Or we'll consume less, but consume it deeper. There is no, no end to the ways that we can grow spiritually. And so the, the question just for us is, are we going to? Really, are you, are you going to? And no, we have to remember, this is not going to happen automatically that we need to be devoted to God's Word, to the fellowship, to the gospel, and to prayer. Now, I'm ready and I'm hopeful. I would like to be more like Jesus this year than I was last year. And I hope that's true for every year of my life, but I just know tomorrow I want to be more like Jesus. I'm ready for our church to continue and to chase Jesus together and excited to see how all of us as a community grow and become more like Him. And so that's the question just, again, for you and for all of us is, are we going to do that? Because we don't drift towards that. It's not automatic. We have to be devoted to Jesus. And so will you be more like Jesus next year, this year? Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, I just thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you that you came to save us. Lord, that you saw us in our sin and that you didn't just leave us alone. You didn't sit up on your throne in heaven and laugh at us in our folly and our nonsense and everything that we get involved in down on earth. But that, Lord, you wept and you sent your son down to die for us, to save us from ourselves and from sin. Lord, help us to not lose sight of the gospel. Lord, help us to grow and to be more like Jesus this year than we were last year. Lord, help us not to drift away from you, but to head barreling towards you. Lord, would we be more devoted to you and to your word and to your people this year? Would at this point next year, no matter what has gone on in the world or even in our own personal lives, Lord, would all of us be standing here having been made more like Jesus and ready to be made even more like Him until you return. We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Invite our worship team to come back up and lead us in continuing to worship our God through song. Amen. I'm going to just read this benediction and encouragement to you from the end of 2 Corinthians 13, 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you this week. God bless you. Be more like Jesus, not just this year, but today. You're dismissed. Amen.